Okay, here we go. I'll put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. First. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Don't kill it. Kill it. Kill the owner. There's a reason they say cursed like a sailor. In reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're back now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I'm your host, Keith Smith, and I'm really excited that you joined us for this episode. We are going to talk about the Miami Heat today, and we have an extremely knowledgeable guest on the Heat with us today, David Ramil. David is part of the team over at the Step Back. I'm going to plug him because I know he's too humble to plug himself. If you have not read his piece on Contavious Caldwell-Pope and the small really tiny, tiny little town he grew up in. Go read that piece. It's one of the best things I've read recently out there, um, whether it be in print or online journalism. It's just fantastic. And David, why he's our heat expert, he also is one of the co-hosts of Locked on Heat. David, thanks for joining us today. Really happy to have you on. Oh, glad to be here. I'm, I'm glad for the invite, and, and thank you so much for the plug. I really had a, a good time researching on Contavious and and, uh, and finding out his roots. So that was uh, one I'm particularly proud of, so I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was fantastic. It was, uh, I think I even told you this, anytime you can paint a picture with words, I think you did the job and you knocked it out of the park with that one. So, Thank you. Um, you know, and, and it, it, go read it, pause this, go read that, then come back and listen <laughs> to us talk about the Heat. <laughs> so, um, so, with that said, let's get into some things with the Miami Heat here. So, absolutely. I always like to say, before you can look forward, it helps to look back. So with the Heat, last season, 41-41, and 41, ninth in the East, but the Heat had almost two different seasons. They mm-hmm. won 11-30 to start the year, 30-11 and 11 to finish the year, including a 13-game winning streak mixed in there. And watching the team, I, I got a chance to watch the Heat quite often. They really looked like two different teams throughout the course of that run as well. They finished with a 107.8 offensive rating that was 17th in the NBA. Where they really got things done was on the defensive end, 106.7 defensive rating, 5th in the NBA, 21st in pace, so in the lower third of the league there. But, David, fill everybody in who maybe isn't so deeply ingrained with the heat on really what happened this past season with Miami. Well, clearly it was a transitional year, right? Once you lose an a all-star caliber player like Dwayne Wade after 13 seasons with the same franchise and, and defining so much of what that team represented during that 13-year period, it was clearly going to be a problem for them. And then to find out that Chris Bosh wouldn't be available to them probably a week or two before summer camp, if I recall correctly. So all of a sudden you have to, to make up the team on the fly there. And, and, you know, obviously it showed early on how much the struggle was going to be. And, and, you know, they had some – Decent players in place. Goran Dragic was returning as the team's starting point guard. You had high expectations for Justice Winslow in his sophomore season. And you had Hassan Whiteside coming up a, a nice big contract that he signed the previous offseason. So 
you thought there might be some consistency there, but obviously those pieces didn't gel as quickly as you'd like. Um, and, and, you know, starting off the season, there were injuries there to Dion Waiters. Winslow got hurt early on, and then he came back, got hurt again. And while he was there, he was trying to do too much. You and I both saw him in summer league last year, and, you know, he looked much more comfortable as a playmaker. Obviously, that was the role that people envisioned for him uh, with Dwayne Wade gone. He was going to be the guy initiating the offense and, and helping out as far as the, the, one of the primary ball handlers. But he just looked very uncomfortable, and his offense is still so far behind. And then just as these injuries to, to key players, uh, you know, just took away at that kind of consistency, there was just no chance to really build on anything. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like everything really started to come together at the midway point. You know, the defense was always a mainstay, as it often is for Miami. They, they have always taken pride in their uh, you know, defensive abilities there, um, the work ethic, et cetera, and everything it takes to, to be a good defensive team. But then all of a sudden, offensively, you start seeing everybody kind of really embrace their roles. Obviously, it helped that Deion Waiters came back from injury, looked really comfortable, looked really, really good during that 13-game win streak in particular. Uh, James Johnson coming off the bench was a really great ball handler, a guy who really knew how to initiate offense but played really well defensively as well. And then Goran Dragic, I think, took a huge leap. A lot of people look at his third-team All-NBA season with Phoenix a few years ago as his best year, but I think this was his best, most consistent year. He was great for the Heat all season long. And it kind of forced Hassan Whiteside to take on more of a tertiary role, I think, as far as the offense is concerned. He was, again, trying to do a lot in the first half of the season, didn't look as comfortable doing so, it wasn't as efficient, but reduced into that third role, all of a sudden he seemed much more effective, just looking for his shot, not forcing anything, and putting up really quality shots at a high percentage. So uh, just everything seemed to work. And, of course, you know, the culture, as much as it gets overblown, especially among the Heat fan base, I think it's a real thing, and we saw it in particular last season. Nobody got down on themselves. Spolster was able to keep spirits up throughout the losing and, and the consistency, the approach to the work, I think, was, was evident from day one and all the way throughout the season. And that never wavered. And that's something you have to give Spolster credit to. Um, you know, he really kept everybody in the same page, uh, kept everybody in, until they find their groove, you know, working together. And, and it really paid off, I think, for the team. So overall, I'd say it was a, a very, very good season in the sense that considering how the expectations were lowered this year. They proved that they could attract free agents in the future, that they could still do the work, and that they could help rehabilitate careers. Yeah, you know, one of the things you mentioned on the culture side that really stood out to me is there were teams that played just as hard as Miami, but no one ever played as played harder than them. Yeah. Um, from from when I would watch, they just they they were one of those teams where even if the other team had more talent, the game was going to be close just because of their effort level in their execution. And a lot of that is Oterich Spolster and the coaching staff. You know, he he took some heat at times. Not no pun intended there, but it, <laughs> but he's a very good coach. You know, and I think it. After what he went through with the LeBron, Wade, and Bosch era teams, no one else at his early stages as a coach really has gone through something like that. And he was able to really figure it out on the fly. And I think that gave the fact that he could control that team and led them to, to championships gives him a lot of gravitas around the league with other guys, you know, with that. So so now, now we're going to spin it forward. We're going to move forward into the 2017 offseason. So one thing that's important to, to note here is cap space, right? This is the, generally the number one tool outside of the NBA draft that could be 1-1A one one there for teams to improve their standing around the league. 
for the heat, and I'm going to plug this if anybody wants to follow along live here. You can go to my Twitter timeline, at KeithSmithNBA, and right at the top of the timeline, there's a tweet pinned that has a link to my NBA salary and roster sheets. It has all of this information in there that I'm about to talk about. And if you want to follow along, there's a tab called 2017 Projected Space Worksheet where you can see how I got to these numbers. But Miami Heat, $39.9 million max cap space. I project them just a touch lower than that due to keeping around some of the partial and non-guaranteed players at $36.5 million in space. Now what's important with those numbers is I have a couple of things working in there. So I have Chris Bosch already removed, and we're going to spend some time talking about him and his situation in just a second. Then I have the Heat renouncing all of their free agents that they can, and basically saying that doesn't mean that they're done with those guys and don't want them back, but in most cases, due to the contract structure, having their bird rights doesn't really mean anything because most of those guys were on one-year deals or one-year deal plus a player option so the Heat can kind of pay them what they can pay them almost regardless. Right. So what what do you think on those projections, David? How do you feel about that? No, I think that seems pretty realistic. I've seen that number. I mean, certainly a number in and around that area and, and certainly uh, with the news that Chris Bosch had come to an amicable agreement with the team, I think that certainly was a big boost for Miami's free agent hopes. So I, I think you've got that right in the money. Yeah, so let's talk about Bosch for a second. So Chris Bosch, he last played now. This date, I think, is probably anyone who follows the Heat's like ingrained in your memory forever is uh, February 9th, 2016. And he then, unfortunately, had a recurrence of the blood clot issues, and he shut him down. He was out the entire 2016-17 season, did not play. At times, made noise of wanting to play. Maybe he was going to try to play and try to come back. And, you know, there was a lot of, lot of speculation, you know, would he get into it and fight with doctors and the NBA doctors and the Heat doctors and all that. But recently, within the last month or so, it's come out that, it's been obvious for all along the Miami Heat want to move along and move away from this situation. But what they weren't willing to do was just flat out wave Bosch. Because one, if they wave him, then that all that money he is owed stays on their cap sheet one way or another. Even if they stretched him, it's still a ton of money spread over a number of years. Or it would just been even more money just in a shorter period. Or the other option was they could have pursued the medical retirement route. But if Bosch went came back to play and played in a certain number of games, that money then gets put back on the Heat's cap sheet. So what they were looking for was some kind of amicable agreement that says, go away and we don't want to have to <laughs> have all this money tying up, clogging our cap sheet. So just in the last month or so, it came out that, 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 that an agreement was reached. And it sounds like from everything I've heard, I want to hear if you've heard any different. This is a one-time thing that the Heat... Chris Bosch, the NBA, and the NBA Players Association have agreed to is let's get this resolved. He can move off. And if by some miraculous reason he does return to play, the money will not, under no circumstances, remove back to, or rather return back to the Heat's books. So have you heard anything different? No, no, you're absolutely right. I think uh, the, the the way that the new collective bargaining agreement was initiated, I think, would have put a, a kink in that po- possible scenario. But I think they did make that one-time exception. And obviously, um, although I don't think you mentioned it, but I'm sure you know that you know a third-party medical team yeah. had found that there would be you know a lifelong issue here, and that he was going to be forced into retirement, that he could not play again. Now, you know, per, he thinks that he's going to be able to play at some point. 
He hasn't officially said that. I don't think there's been an official statement from him in quite some time. But even at the start of the season, you know, obviously when there was a higher level of tension between him and the front office, that was all, that always seemed to be his goal. Obviously, his wife was very vocal via social media about pushing for him to return. And, you know, even the year before that, when Miami was making that playoff push, he would have been a great part of that. But, you know, the team held their ground, and they never felt comfortable allowing him to get back on the court. And, you know, the whole thing shook up rather unfortunately for everybody, but it, I'm glad to see that an amicable agreement was reached eventually. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I always return to whenever I think about this situation is it's, it's just sad. You know, because this is a guy who, you know, like it or not, you know, and I don't know why you wouldn't like it, but like it or not, he's a Hall of Famer. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think when people really take that, they hear that off the cuff and they're like, what? But then when you look at the numbers, his numbers are as good as any power forward. And even despite being out these last couple of seasons, he has... You know, he played a number of years at a very high level, both in Toronto and then in Miami. So it's just kind of sad. Personally, just my personal feelings on it, I want to see him move on to whatever is next. He'd be amazing on TV. He's done some of that and been really good. You know, I never want to fault a guy for for wanting to play and trying to play. I just don't know that it's worth it. But that's, that's just my own personal opinion and feelings on it. No, I, I agree 100%. I mean, I, I wouldn't want – I think that was the, the thing that was kind of prevalent in everybody's line of thinking from a fan base. You don't want to see him move away, but you don't want to see him out on the floor and all of a sudden collapse to the floor and have a situation where his life was going to be endangered. And obviously the team didn't want to be liable in a situation like that, but from a, a you know personal human perspective, you don't ever want to see a player get injured or, or you know have some kind of fatality on the court. So um, that would have been a terrible situation. And unfortunately you, you wound up not being able to see his incredible talent on the floor for the past, you know, most of the past three seasons, but uh, I'm glad that he's able to move on. And, you know, incidentally, uh, the, the Heat's broadcasting team, their, their color commentator, Tony Fiorentino, this is his last season in that capacity, and he's moving on. I can't see why Chris Bosch wouldn't be a perfect fit for that. I mean, he's just so familiar with the team, so intelligent, and for him to kind of come back there in a nice, easy role would be perfect. I mean, obviously, I think we'd like to see him on a national stage as well, but from a local perspective, I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate seeing him there, working with longtime uh, play-by-play man Eric Reed. That's funny because I didn't even know that. And that would be, you would think that would almost be a natural fit. You could even Absolutely. do, you know, something, you know, and this isn't a, let's discuss the media broadcast, but, but you could do something where you could bring him in, you know, as the third guy in there yes. on, you know, certain games here and there and kind of work him in that way. That'd be, it seems like almost too logical of a transition, right? Absolutely. So, so now, obviously, though, what matters most here for what we're going to discuss today is the fact that that comes, that money comes off the books. It's $25.2 million this year, $26.8 million next season. That comes off the books, and that gives the Heat a completely different scope to their offseason than they would have had otherwise. Otherwise, they would have had you know a chunk of cap space, but not what they have now. What they're looking at now is max cap space. And I have said consistently all along, anytime I am asked about it, Pat Riley and the Miami Heat with max cap space is something that the rest of the league should be fearful of because anytime they've had the ability, he gets things done and gets good players. So what I want to talk about now is recent reports were that Miami is the team, along with Boston, that is they are the kind of co-greatest threats, and the Heat may even be 
further up on that list for Gordon Hayward of the Utah Jazz. So what do you think about that? Do you think there's any truth to that? How would Hayward fit if there is? But what are your thoughts on Gordon Hayward potentially joining the Heat? Well, I mean, it's very interesting, and I do believe it's plausible. I remember covering a game in Miami uh, with David Locke, who's, of course, running the Locked On Network, and you know he's a longtime jazz broadcaster. And he actually expressed some concerns that Miami would be a front runner for Hayward Services outside of the Jazz, of course. So, um, you know, obviously the link to Brad Stevens in Boston is the real one. And, and I mean, they, they're certainly a contending team for his services, and, and, and he's a nice piece there. But I think Miami is certainly a legitimate threat. I think they can sell the culture, they can sell the, the chance of, of, you know, not necessarily a realistic one of, of pushing for a championship, but. One that, you know, obviously they, they, they know how to win a title. I think you can look at the most recent seasons and say, look, we know how what it takes to build the title team. We've got a title-winning coach here. Um, and and you know, I think there's certainly some level of attraction for Hayward there. You know, obviously he's a, a family man, so maybe the South Beach appeal isn't necessarily as strong with him as it is with other younger players. But, um, you know, Miami's a great place to live. If you're tired of the cold in Utah, Miami's certainly a, a wonderful option as well. And, and just from a team perspective, they do have some nice assets, and I think he'd fit perfectly there because the team, if anything, um, kind of reminds me a little bit of the Hawks a few seasons ago in that they were not led by any one superstar player. Goran had a great season, uh, you know, Hassan Whiteside had a great year as well, but they don't really have a superstar level player, and I think the opportunity to be that person in Miami is appealing to Hayward. You know, um, he can be the star of the team. He can compete at a high level. He can push this team to the next level as far as title contention is concerned, and, and uh, I think all of that makes it an attractive option. Yeah, I think it it really is a nice fit too because he comes in and fills an immediate need for a primary score. I think Goran Dragic can hold down that role, but I think he's best when he is kind of your 1A option versus being the number one option there. And then Hayward is, he's a better playmaker and defender than people give him credit for. And he also, he already is knows how to work with a really good defensive big man behind him. And, you know, there's there are, well, it's not a ton, but defensively there are some similarities to the way Miami and Utah play defense as far as focus on shutting down the perimeter and then funneling everything inside to the big man to challenge up the rim. So I think there you have that, you know, it, that's not going to swing things one way or another, but that certainly is not going to hurt in the push. So now I want to go to another name. This guy's not a free agent, but this is probably the next biggest name on the market, and that's Paul George. And I posited when I wrote the Heat's offseason preview for Real GM that the that Miami would be a sneaky team for Paul George in trade talks. Now, they'd have to cobble together pieces of picks and all that, which is a little difficult because of the trade they made with Mm -hmm. Phoenix for Dragic. But do you think that there's the potential for George? And the one thing that I also want to add in there is if they were to get George, I think they would do it under the assumptions of, we can change his mind about wanting to run to Los Angeles because it's it's Pat Riley, it's Miami, it's Eric Spolstra, it's a good team. You know, we can we'll, we'll we would be I think they would be one of the, the franchises willing to take that risk that that he's not going to bolt in a year. What are your thoughts yeah. on him? Yeah, I agree 100. percent I think if anything, you could look at at what they did in 2010 with LeBron and make that a big part of your sales pitch is to say, look, we can get you to that next level. As great as LeBron was in Cleveland in his early part of his career, he took a step up in Miami. 
Um, and I think they could get him to play a little bit more power forward, as you know, at least offensively, the same way they did with with LeBron in, in Miami, where they had Shane Battier playing the the defensive power forward. And so you could do that. I mean, obviously positions are changing somewhat, and you know, Miami was one of the teams that really initiated positionless basketball, of course, because of Chris Bosh's ability to stretch the floor and everything else. But you could make that same case, I think, with Justice Winslow being able to guard fours. Uh, you know, and bigger players like that because of his bulk and heft, and you can have Paul George dominate in that sense. And, and you know, obviously, the, again, the opportunity to be the superstar player in Miami. Uh, you know, they know how to breed superstar culture. They've had one on the team ever since Riley took over in 1995, and they know how to make the most of those kinds of players and then build other assets around them. So it seems like a nice fit. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's one to watch. At least it's not um, you know, if you hear it as a, as a fan out there, don't don't disregard and just say, yeah, they don't have the pieces because they they can cobble enough together to to go get Paul George if they really wanted to. And the the Heat have uh, shown the ability when they want somebody, they're at least going to sure. get a meeting if nothing else um, to talk to that player. So so in order to get there though. We gotta we gotta deal with some of the current free agents on the roster. And I talked I touched on it briefly at the beginning of the show is that the Heat's free agents are in a little bit of a different scenario because most of them were on one year or like one one with an option kind of deal. So what I want to do now is I want to talk through each one of the free agents, get your kind of thoughts on them. Um, we can talk it if if you think they're landing one of these big free agents or if they're not. Um, just whatever thoughts you have around those guys. And we got to start with, with the guy who I, I think Miami fans have adopted as he, he's the new GOAT. You know, they, they love this guy. Let's talk about Dion Waiters. So Waiters would be an unrestricted free agent. He's indicated he's going to decline his player option, which makes sense. He had a fantastic season for next to no money as he was signed so late in the year. But what are your thoughts on Dion Waiters, and what are the chances he's back in Miami next year? I think they're actually pretty superb. Uh, I think he really appreciated being able to take his game to another level, and I think he felt very comfortable. Now, a lot of that is, as you well know, players just talking for the sake of, of, of you know putting out positive vibes, et cetera, about the team that they're currently on. But I think he certainly embraced that culture and the work ethic and helping him you know, improve as an individual and as a player, and you know, he's indicated he's willing to take a discount too. So you don't, you never know if, if that's you know something to take with a grain of salt. But I think he certainly does like his his time there. He, he certainly felt a bond with Goran Dragic, a very unlikely one, and they played in similar ways in that they both attacked the basket and they were kicking out to wide open three point shooters, and that's really what got that offense going in the second half of the season. Even when Dion went down with an injury late in the year. So I think there's certainly a nice fit there. I've always, I mean, I've always liked Deion Waiters, at least since his stint with Oklahoma City. I really saw a, a guy who was trying to get better, even if it didn't always fit. And, you know, Oklahoma City has some weird issues as far as trying to get guys to fit in, uh, especially when you have as much isolated play with, you know, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook there. And it's difficult for anybody to make their mark on a team so superstar-laden, but um, I, I always appreciate his work ethic, and I think we got to see the very best version of him in Miami. So I think there's a good chance. Obviously, you want to try and re-sign him 
at a cap-friendly deal. I would expect somewhere in the vicinity of four to five years, maybe for about $50 million to $55 million, somewhere around $11 million per year, although I've heard some talk that maybe he could go up to $15 million. I think that's more than Miami is willing to pay for a guy like Dion. And I don't think it's also an aberration. I don't think what we saw last year was a fluke. I think this is the version of the player that we're going to see throughout the rest of his career, given that Miami will help him keep his weight down, they'll keep him focused, and I think he's, he's willing to stay engaged as long as he's with the Heat. Yeah, I think if they get a Hayward or George, I think something in the 11-12 million range might be a little more realistic because he may look at it and say, well, I'm part of what's going to be a really good playoff team, probably a top half of the East team. If they don't and he becomes, all right, you're kind of more of a must resign here, then I think he could maybe squeeze out that extra couple million a year. One thing with him, last year he shot 39.5% from behind the arc. If that's real, that's huge for his game because that is um, really important. He's always been a decent three-point shooter, um, but not nothing kind of to that level. And that's not on, you know, 20 attempts either. It was on a well over 100 attempts. So that's uh, going to be real, or on 215 attempts, actually. So that's going to be something that's really important for him uh, moving forward. So, so I, I'm with you. I think that there's a good chance he's back. I think the number and the amount of years depends on what else happens around them. But I do think he would like to return from all things I've heard, and I think they'd like to have him back. Now, another guy, that you, you hit on it with waiters, the whole take care of your body, get yourself in good shape. Right. This next guy took that to an extreme level, and that's James Johnson. So Johnson was on a one-year kind of make-good contract. Miami was left, to some extent, when Wade left, almost – holding this bag of cash and said, well, let's just spread it around a whole bunch of different guys and we'll bring them all in on short-term deals and see what happens. And Johnson came in, adopted early from all reports the get yourself in shape. This is the way we live when we're with the heat. This is how hard we work. And then proceeded to have the best season of his career. And he is a guy, he's now, he's 29 um, already, so that's he's a little bit older um, than the other free agents that Miami's looking at um, out there. But, again, really good season, mostly in a reserve role. And he showed the ability to hit three-pointers at a better rate than he really had previous in his, in his other stops. He hit 87 of them this year, which was a career high, um, almost half as many as he had hit previous to this. But I think, for me, he's a guy that they would love to have back But I think his question really comes into how much and how many years are you willing to spend to do that? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, obviously, like you pointed out, he's a little bit older. I I could imagine a three-, four-year deal at most. Um, It's going to be... It's going to be difficult, to be honest with you, to, to gauge how, how well he's going to pan out for the rest of his career because, obviously, he didn't play much in his various other stops in Toronto and Memphis, et cetera. Um, and you expect him to be you know, able to, to maintain this level of play a little bit longer just because there's not necessarily enough wear and tear there. I wonder whether or not teams outside of Miami – uh, view whether or not he'll degrade. You know, obviously, the contract year is a very real influence there on his level of play. You wonder whether or not outside of the Heat culture, whether or not he's going to take a step backward and whether or not other teams might offer less money um, this offseason. So you, I don't know if that puts Miami in prime position to resign him, but you're absolutely right that they'd love to have him back. He proves so versatile 
as a, a, a ball handling center. I mean, there were you know lineups there where he would play the five. He was able to guard a number of positions so effectively. His defense really took a big step forward. But his ball handling and his shot creation was something I didn't really expect, and I don't think we ever got a chance to see that maybe because Dwayne Casey kind of had him glued to a particular role. But in Miami, they witnessed his versatility, and they were able to get it to, to the next level. Uh, and I think he'll, he's certainly appreciative of that, the fact that he was able to show how versatile a player he is. He was such a big part of Miami's second-half boost. Yeah, and I want to actually go back and correct one thing. He's actually 30. He turned 30 at the end of February, so even a little older than I than I've even said before. But, yeah, he, he was really impressive. One thing I always liked with him, even when he was with Toronto, is he's one of those guys who he'll go right at a guy like LeBron James and doesn't worry about it. It's, you know, hey, I'll go at him. I don't care. Right. You know, which, yeah. are, you, know you, you want that attitude out of guys that, you know, it's, um, as long as they don't go overly crazy with it and then try and – get LeBron angry because nobody needs that. <laughs> you don't need to poke the bear. But let's right. you know, be reasonable about it. So so that'll move us to, to the next free agent, another free agent guy who was brought in this year, play, played one year and had a pretty good season, Luke Babbitt. Now, Luke Babbitt at the beginning of the year, I think a lot of people looked at it and said, whatever, Luke Babbitt, you know, this guy's, man, he's had kind of always been a combo forward type, had done some things. But with Miami, he started in 55 games, so was really their primary starter at the four position, shot over 41% from three, really adopted that stretch four role, plays well. He's the guy who fits good with the offense because they had a lot of other guys who need the ball in their hands to do things, and Babbitt is content to just kind of float around the perimeter. He made the league minimum last year, so it's after you shoot 41% in the NBA, you're not making the league minimum the next season, that's for sure. So what do you think on him? What, what are his uh, opportunities to return to the Heat? You know, it's it's interesting. Obviously, you know, if, if Miami pursued other big name free agency, obviously they've been linked to guys like Blake Griffin, or even if you wind up signing a guy like Hayward, or even if you wind up throwing a lot of money at James Johnson, you wonder whether or not he'll be the starting power forward moving in. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right as far as Babbitt's fit there. Uh, I actually saw some nice things from him defensively. I remember one game in particular against the Kings where he actually played really well against Boogie Cousins. He was able to harass him with his length, uh, which is you know, somewhat underrated. He's almost a seven-footer, uh, and, and he held his own there. And I think maybe that's a step up for him than what we had seen from him in New Orleans. Uh, and he's shown some consistency. He showed consistency in that regard. Not, there were too many nights early on in particular where he just had almost no production, you know, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero shots, maybe two or three points if he got lucky and hit one three-pointer. But then in the second half of the season, once the offense started clicking, he was, as you said, a perfect fit for that offense. You know, he was a catch-and-shoot guy. As Dion and Goran would drive to the hoop, they'd find Babbitt out on the elbow, and he'd knock down a three-pointer. It certainly really helped his confidence, and, and he was able to knock those down at a high rate. At one point, I think he was hitting close to 60% of his three-pointers because he was struggling early on, and then in the second half of the season – was shooting at such a high level that you know eventually it balanced out to forty one percent. But he was just a really good, nice fit there. So I don't know how likely they are to offer him a lot of money. I could see maybe a five million dollar deal for a couple of years. Maybe it's tough to gauge, but I'd say that's probably where they you know look at his impact being and what they think he's worth. Yeah, and one other thing, we'll, we'll talk about the, the other lefty power forward on the roster, and that's Josh McRoberts. 
Now, we're, we're not going to get too deep into him because he's not a free agent. If he might have gone missed because people are watching the playoffs and the finals and those things. But McRoberts has officially already exercised his, play, his player option. He right. had until towards the end of June to do so, but he's already done it. So he has basically said, I'm coming back. I'm at least getting that money. There's a combination of things, reasons that happens. Is One is he's probably a tertiary or fourth option for teams. I, I was going to say whatever the equivalent to tertiary is, but I don't know it. I'm not that smart for fourth. Quadratic? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I'll, I'll go ask a math friend after we get off the air. But, it's, uh, you know, with McRoberts, he, he would have been down there on the options for teams in free agency. So he opted in. It's going to take that contract. It's over, a little over $6 million for this next season. And he was the guy who, he would have been the starting power forward on the team. He's a another guy who shooted a little bit from the outside. He's a better playmaker than people give him credit for. So he kind of fits as a ball mover with the other guys. But you know, that just wanted to make sure we got that news in there just in case folks had missed that he picked that up and then hit us up later to say, Why didn't you talk about McRoberts? Well he's back. Yes. So yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say, you know, his his career with Miami has been so difficult to to look at just because He's faced so many different weird injuries, everything yeah. from a blister on his toe that kept him out for you know a dozen games to you know a broken arm. I mean, he's just he's just been hurt. He broke his leg at one point, or I'm sorry, tore his ACL. I think you know so many things there, and obviously you know the the context for which he was signed there. Everybody seems to forget this. It was in the off season in 2014. He was one of the first free agents that Miami had come to an agreement with assuming that he'd be a backup player to a guy who obviously wound up re-signing in, in Cleveland, that's LeBron James. So yeah. they saw him as taking over, you know, having just been shredded by the San Antonio Spurs in the 2014 finals. I think they saw McRoberts, who they had played against the, when he was with the Bobcats in his last season in Charlotte. Um, they had faced Miami in the playoffs. I think they saw him in kind of uh, filling the Boris uh, Diaw level, a guy with some length who could guard a number of big players, a little bit more versatile, and certainly, like you said, a very underrated uh, you know playmaker, a guy who could pass the ball very well, finish at the rim. And that season with Charlotte, he was really, really good from three-point range. Uh, unfortunately, it just never worked out. LeBron wound up going to Cleveland. McRoberts got hurt right away. He never seemed to fit in, uh, and he just struggled so much. There are times there where it's so painful to watch. Look, Miami fans – by and large, are done with McRoberts just because when he's been out there, and it's been very, very few and far between, he's so he lacks confidence so completely. Like you see him holding the ball wide open from three three point range or even from the mid range, he's just not willing to take the shot anymore. This wasn't the guy we saw with the Bobcats. It's a, a broken version of who he is, and I know he's been tossed around as far as trades are concerned. He's been rumored to be on the trading block many times. Nobody really wanted They were trying to attach a second-round pick to him in the hopes that somebody would take them off the books, and nobody wanted him. And so it's, it's a very difficult position for him as a player, as a human being, to be with the roster. But I think, you know, if all things panned out as far as his health concerned, I could think he could still be a, a pretty important part of the offense. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that there's always the, the idea, too, of it's a contract year. So, you know, that that does happen. 
you know, and sometimes guys, you know, and, and I'm not going to say McRoberts has done this because you mentioned he's had a lot of weird injuries that are things he couldn't have played through. But if he gets, you know, a little nicked up, his contract theory might play through it instead. You know, yeah. we want to push in on the next. But there is a couple more free agents. Both of these guys are big men, completely at the kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. So the first one is Willie Reed. He has also indicated that he will decline his player option and he will become a unrestricted free agent. So he'll be playing behind uh, or has been playing behind Hassan Whiteside as the really backup center there in Miami. And he's a guy who... He was one of those, yeah, maybe there's something here for a number of years before he really had kind of a breakout year this year. Played in 71 games, five starts, but he averaged 5.3 points, 4.7 rebounds, and only just just under 14 or under 15 minutes a game. And he shot in a really impressive 56.8% from the field. What are your thoughts on, on Reed and potentially returning? I should say, too, he is another guy who, despite only having a couple years in the league, got a really late start to his career. So he is already uh, – he just turned 27 years old in the middle of May about a month ago. Yeah, well, I mean, he's obviously a guy that Miami had on their radar for some time. He was part of the Heat's summer league team a couple seasons ago, and he wound up signing a contract with Brooklyn, uh, went through some injuries there, never had a, a couple breakthrough games, but never really panned out in the long run. But obviously with Miami having some available cap space and the need to fill in somebody for Chris Bosch at the center position, they took a chance on a guy that they liked and read, and, and I think he fit in really well as far as the culture and everything else. And uh, you know, he had some nice flashes, particularly offensively. Um, he, he's willing to do the work defensively, but there are too many times where he's a little out of position. I think those things will come with age and more experience, although, like as you said, he's 27. He didn't necessarily have a great feel defensively, but I think that's something that he continue to develop as he gets a little bit more playing time with Miami. And, yeah, I think they'd like him back, but I think there are concerns about what his feeling might be, and, and you don't want to overpay him. You don't want him to be... You know, a guy like this year's Dwayne Dedman who could go elsewhere and certainly find a great fit and thrive, and you wonder why the, the team didn't re-sign him for a, a certain you know amount of money, but you don't want to overpay for a guy like that either. So I think they'll, they'll probably look to, to fill his position of free agency. I don't expect Reed to be back. I think he's probably going to command more money on the market, even though he's not necessarily – the kind of center you're looking for in today's game. He doesn't really stretch the floor. He doesn't do much other than, you know, put his back to the basket. He does work some well, you know, he works well defensively in the sense that he gets some, some rebounds. He has some nice athleticism, and he's able to finish up the rim at a high level. But I wonder how much he'll command in the open market, but it's probably more than Miami's willing to pay. Yeah, and you, you hit the guy that I said he's, I have been telling people he's kind of similar to, and that's Dwayne Deadman. But I don't want to go too deep into that because I don't want this to turn into the sad magic fan uh, <laughs> podcast because I know there, there's a lot of regrets there. Why did we spend all this money on <laughs> Bismack Biombo when we already had sure. Deadman? Um, and then the last free agent on the team, Udonis Haslam, he's the Miami institution at this point. He's the guy who's been there the absolute longest. He's got 14 uh, completed seasons, and he's now going to be uh, just turned 37 a couple days ago. So we're recording this on June 11th, birthday on June 9th. So happy birthday to you, Donis Haslam. He's really at this point, in my opinion, is if he wants to come back, whatever money that he'd have left and can give him, they're going to kind of give him, and they'll bring him back. He'll be a locker room presence and a bench guy, someone who, you know, is really – he is the true grown-up in the locker room. He's somebody Spolster can rely on from the player side to do some of that police police work there and there, keep guys in line and all those kind of things. Um, his on-court 
performance and production is not what the Heat would bring him back for. But do you think he comes back, or do you think it's this is it, he's hanging him up, and it's time to move into what's likely to be some other form of role with the Miami Heat, whether that be in the front office or on the coaching staff? I think he said that he wants to come back and play. It's not just this season, at least maybe two more years. So I, I think it's up to uh, up to him. You know, whenever he's going to hang him up, um, they'll stop trying to re-sign him. But, it, you know, you pointed out so many great aspects of Haslam, not just on the court, but the things he does. Able to, to get into Whiteside's face and tell him to calm down when there were issues with his temper a couple seasons ago. A guy that, you know, in conjunction with Alonzo Mourning, acts as the, the manifestation, you know, incarnate version of the Heat culture because he's just willing to do the work. He's, he's getting guys in there now during the offseason. So far, everybody, free agent or not, has worked at the American Airlines Arena at some point uh, doing some work this offseason, and that's because of Udonis, tying everybody together, getting them to commit. He did the same thing last season, um, and, you know, he was the guy who really pushed for James Johnson to take it to the next level, and certainly it's paid off, and, and look, he does all the work. He does everything that's asked of him. Um, the fact that his body can't function as, as a high level as much as it used to early in his career, that's not up to him. That's not his fault. But he's he's able – well, he's willing to do whatever it takes. He's just not really able to. Um, but I think, you know, he fans uh, appreciate everything he's done for the team and they'll continue to appreciate him in whatever role he eventually fills. But I do expect him back on the team next year. And I, I want to touch on two quick things with Haslam. First is I finally was able to get caught up and listen to the uh, podcast that Eric Spolster did with, with uh, Adrian Wojnarowski right. on the Vertical podcast. And he talked a lot about Haslam on that podcast, a lot more than you would think a coach would talk about a guy who <laughs> – barely plays at the very end of a bench. Right. But it, it, it led me to, wow, this is how important this guy is. And that ties into the next point I want to make, and this is a bigger point for the entire NBA is, with the advent of these new two-way contracts, teams have the ability now to fill that 15th roster spot with a guy like Haslam versus that guy that they, well, we got to sign him because we don't want somebody else to have him. You know, and we'll we'll sign the guy and develop the guy in the D League. Well, now they can sign that same player to a two way deal, develop him in the D League with the the advent of those two two way slots on rosters. So so that's going to have not only that you know great impact for that development of young talent and back end roster guys, but it's also going to allow guys like Haslam who have a place on a team to stick around for another year versus the team saying, well, we really need the roster spot. We can't afford to use it on a coach on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, a guy like Nick Collison in Oklahoma yep. City. Yeah, he's at, yeah. it's funny. Those two guys, I, I feel like they probably sit around in the offseason and drink beers together and say, man, you know, and just trade war stories right at this point. They've been yeah. through it all. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, all right, so now we want to dive into um, here the Heat. One of the things that Miami has done really, really well is identifying that almost like those two-way contract type players, those low-end guys on minimum or – partially guaranteed contracts or non-guaranteed deals that are back-end training camp kind of guys that end up playing a big role with the team. And the Heat have four big names in that picture this summer, and the first of which is Wayne Ellington. So Wayne Ellington had a really nice season as a bench shooter for Miami. I know he started a handful of games here and there as well. 
His contract fully non-guaranteed. So that means that if the Heat want to or need to, the six point two, six point three million that Ellington is scheduled to make, they can waive that at no cost for themselves. But they have to do it before July seventh, because July seventh is when his contract becomes fully guaranteed. The good thing for Miami is by July 7th, they'll know if they need that cap space or not. They'll have already met with or talked to the Gordon Haywards of the world. You mentioned Blake Griffin. They'll know, do we need an extra $6.3 million in cap space or not? But so let's – we put that out there. But let's say that's not a factor, right, if it's not a factor of moving it. Do you think just based on his play on the court, is Wayne Ellington back in a Miami uniform? I think all things, you know, give, you know, all things even out. I think he would love to be back in Miami. I think Miami would love to have him. They were able to put a lot of offensive plays that they had once run for Ray Allen, and we were able to use Ellington in that capacity, coming off multiple screens, getting wide open from the perimeter, and he certainly made the most of that opportunity. He fit in so well there, and uh, I, I think he'd love to be back. I think they'll probably wind up not. You know, not hoping to or declining that player option and then re-signing him for more years at less money per year. Yeah, and the Ray Allen thing is pretty cool there. And I really apologize. I don't remember who did this work. If if it was you, hit me on Twitter with a link, and I will definitely reshare it and everything. At Keith Smith NBA is where you can find me on Twitter. He someone did a video breakdown of that exact thing you just mentioned of right. we brought back some of the Ray Allen sets to run them for Wayne Ellington and that was pretty cool they, they even at one point there was a side by side of it which is you know I, I, I love those kind of things because it makes yeah. it really easy for a guy like me who you know doesn't uh, necessarily have the time and ability to watch a million different videos but right. alright so the next guy Rodney Magruder now this guy is he was a guy training camp guy was the thought initially you know maybe he makes it out of training camp then he ended up being one of the Heat's uh, starting players started 65 games. It was the second most starts on the team outside of Hassan Whiteside, so he really was a starter all season. Or, I'm sorry, third most behind Whiteside and Dragic. And Magruder is, he's a kind of hard-nosed player, can play both the two and the three. He is uh, fully non-guaranteed, so that he could waive his $1.3 million. That's the league minimum for a player with one year of experience. And he becomes guaranteed for a little over 450000 on August 1st, and then fully guaranteed on opening night. My opinion is, you start 60-something games the previous year, you only make $1.3 million. You're coming back. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. <laughs> Look, I mean, obviously he wasn't the ideal option there, but with the power forward position so up in the air between, you know, Derek Williams and, 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 and Babbitt and James Johnson, nobody really asserting themselves early on the year. And then all of a sudden, you know, Winslow gets hurt. You need somebody to kind of fill in there. You're still trying to figure out where this team is at. Um, and, and he did an excellent job. I mean, I, I've talked to Spolster about, you know, Magruder. He loves him. He loves everything he does, his tireless effort there. Um, and, and he's just he's such a great fit. He was just willing to do it. I mean, this is a guy who couldn't make – the main red clause in the G League. I mean, he couldn't make that roster, and all of a sudden he's starting 60 games. And, and, you know, that just shows the kind of work ethic that he has personally. And, again, that's something that Miami appreciates on such a high level. And, And he was able to fit in rather nicely, do the dirty work defensively, not much of a playmaker, but he started kind of coming into his own in that regard. You saw him being a little bit more comfortable putting the ball on the floor and trying to get to the hoop. But, well, you know, obviously he was willing to do the dirty work defensively, but you also saw in some key games there that he was overmatched because of his height. He's, he's generously listed at 6'4". Um, and then you had him going up against guys like DeRozan or Paul George and others, and, and he just, you know, the, with their height, 
he just couldn't contend. He's willing to do everything he because t- it's possible, but his body isn't capable of matching up with his guys. Not that there's a lot of people who can limit those great players, but he's certainly not one of them. So he's probably best suited for a bench role, but at his current salary, I think he makes a nice addition. Every team would love to have a guy like Magruder. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that kind of leads us into the next guy on the list who's in a somewhat similar situation contract and role-wise, but I think think there's a lot more higher hopes for this, for this player, and that's Josh Richardson. Mm-hmm. So Richardson missed a large chunk of the season last year, um, and then when he was there, he was part of that kind of mix and match that Spolster had to do, especially at the 2-3 the position as he um, went through, you know, the team battled through, you know, at one point everybody, you know, right. missed time there. So Richardson, $1.4 million. He's, he's at the league minimum for a player with two years of service. Again, fully non-guaranteed, but he becomes fully guaranteed June 30. Now, with a couple things, he was a draft pick, he's got an awful lot of talent, he is a good player, he's still fairly young, I think he, there's no question that he's back at the amount that he's on the books for at that $1.4 million um, would be my assumption. Are we on the same page? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he had a bit of an off year because... Uh, the injuries and, and struggling to find his fit, etc. He didn't have the explosiveness that we saw in his rookie year, and he didn't he didn't shoot as well from the perimeter. But he started getting into it a little bit more and finding his rhythm as the season wound down. And I think he's just a perfect representation of that culture. You know, he was a four year player. Miami loves those kinds of guys. Uh, that's why they drafted him in the second round. They had high hopes. They signed him to that contract. You know, as a second round pick, which is something they don't normally do. And and he's done all the work. And he, he you know he's formed a, a nice friendship with Winslow. So they're part of that young core that they seem moving forward. Yeah, and then that leaves us with one more guy, and that's Okara White. Now, Okara White was added uh, mid-season using the disabled, or not the disabled player exception, but using the hardship exception with the roster when he had so many injuries, the NBA gave them the approval to add a 16th player on the roster, and Okara White was that guy. And then when guys started to get healthy, Okara White had performed so well that it was time for the Heat to say, all right, well, we can't risk letting this guy go back. And someone else would have snapped him up, I can tell you, without naming the teams. There were several teams that were interested. And what they ended up ultimately doing was they waived Derek Williams and ate a healthy amount of money to just say, you know what, we got to keep White around. And then re-signed him for the rest of this year and then gave him a somewhat interesting structured contract for next season. So, again, no minimum guarantee, $1.3 million contract. Again, the league minimum for a player with one year of service in the NBA. And then he has some escalating guarantees. So a little over 226000 guaranteed on July 1st. A month later, a little over 450000 So that's basically make it through summer league healthy, and then you know we can reevaluate again at the beginning of August. And then he becomes fully guaranteed on opening night. My thought would be, again, another guy, minimal amount of money owed to him, unless he got to a point where we really, really need an extra $1.3 million in cap space to make one more big move or a series of big moves happen. I can't see a way he's not back in a Miami uniform for a minimum, at least, training camp. Yeah, I agree 100%. He was there during that 13-game winning streak, and you know he wasn't necessarily – 
playing a significant amount of minutes, but he was playing in crunch minutes at some times. You know, it was interesting that Spolster, I guess, at that point he had nothing to lose with Miami's losing record, <laughs> and he kind of inserted them into clutch moments, and, and Okara did a great job for the team. You know, he, he was able to, you know, do a, a number of things there. He's got some length. He's a little small, not necessarily a big body, but, uh, but you know, he, he, he did the work defensively. He knocked down some nice three-pointers, you know, at a 38% rate for this season. Not many, just .3 attempts per game. But, you know, he just, he just showed a lot of nice work there, and uh, I think he'd be a great fit. I'm sure Zern will bring him back. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to lead us into our last topic here on the show, and that's the NBA draft. So the Heat, by virtue of missing out on the playoffs, they did at least get a slightly better draft pick than what they would have got. They do have the number 14 pick in the draft, so right smack there in the middle at the late stages of the lottery picks. For the Miami Heat, I think that they are in a position where they've got a lot of different options, but my guess would be, and the mock drafts seem to bear this out, it's probably looking more at a big man um, on the roster. I think that's a combination of what's currently on on the roster, free agents they might like to have back, as well as some of the potential free agent targets. So the names I have seen most commonly mentioned are Zach Collins, the big uh, forward center out of Gonzaga, and John Collins of but kind of a more true power forward who played at Wake Forest. What are you hearing about the Heat? Who are they looking at? And what do you think they really need to, to do with that 14th pick? Well, I mean, certainly given uh, Willie Reed's uh, availability in free agency, I think you need to find a way to shore up that, that position. So I think that's uh, – you, you'd look to somebody in the draft at 14 who might be able to fit in. I, what I've heard is that – they're looking for somebody who can make an impact. So they're not looking at somebody who's a long-term project or anything like that. So it's somebody who has some experience at the collegiate level and who has upside as well, obviously. They'd like to find it. But somebody who, who fits in with the team culture and things of that sort, um, I think obviously a big man is, is a big priority, you know, somebody who could probably provide a little bit more floor spacing and consistency than Reed did, uh, you know, obviously, and, and willing to do the work defensively. But I've seen some other names tossed around there, too. I've heard OG Anunoby is a guy that they're looking at because of his defensive abilities. Uh, and, his, you know, certainly he's a well-conditioned player and a guy who could fit in. I wonder if he drops to 14 or not. Um, you know, uh, Josh Jackson is a guy that they've looked at also. Justin Jackson, rather, I'm sorry. Uh, he's a guy who they've looked at from North Carolina. He's, a, you know, a tall guy with a nice, great wingspan, you know, capable of playing defensively in a number of spots there and able to knock down the three ball. So there are a lot of options. Unfortunately, at 14, you're not really getting the very best players of the draft, but I've also heard that they might be looking to trade down. So you wonder whether or not teams looking to move a couple of draft picks like Portland might be able to package some of their picks to try and move up to 14th while, you know, you know, giving up some money in a couple of first-round picks. Uh, you wonder whether or not a trade is in place. They've had some guys in for workouts that fit probably in the late first round, maybe second round. So you wonder whether or not they're just doing due diligence or whether or not they're looking to trade down the draft. So there's just a lot of different options there. It's hard to predict exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. And I think the big thing with the Heat that everybody needs to keep in mind is they have the flexibility just about more so than any other team in the league, especially more so than any other team that's, that's close to being in the playoffs, to do – just about anything, because when you have that much cap space, you can, they could even say, you know, we'll eat a contract 
at the back end to pick up something else. So we'll do this. Or if, you know, oh, we, you want to trade this guy, but you also got to get off this other deal with, with that player too? All right, we'll take them both. And that's also one of the things that is important with that is the Heat also aren't afraid to take guys who maybe are a little bit questionable with the way they've played other places. And then they have enough faith in their system, team, their development, and everything down there in Miami that they can – build that player back up into a productive and good NBA player. So I think this is one of the more interesting off-seasons to watch in the entire league. I said it at the very beginning of the show, Pat Riley with cap space, that's scary for the other 29 teams. So we'll have to see what they can do. But, David, we are about out of time. So I want to just say, again, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. You can find David at... The uh, Locked on Heat podcast is a great listen all the time. I, I think you guys are probably going to have a big off-season, lots, lots to talk about um, on Locked on Heat, as well as on Fansided at the Step Back, right? Um, yes. Go check that out. Please check out that Contavious Caldwell Pope article. It's really great, you know, again. But what else do you got to plug, David? No, I mean, just, you know, continuing the off-season work. I've got something on the MVP race coming up soon. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, with the award show coming up, it's, it's a you know, topic as the finals wind down that somebody, you know, people will, will generally find interesting. I'm actually looking at Chris Bosch's Hall of Fame candidacy. There, there's a piece coming up soon. So there's just different things. But obviously, if anybody's interested in my writing, they can always follow me at Twitter at DRamil13. Awesome. Again, thanks for coming on. This has been the NBA Front Office Show, part of the Almighty Baller Network. I have been your host, Keith Smith. You can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. Feel free to hit me up there with feedback on the show. Anything you know, good, bad, or indifferent that you want to let us know, we are trying to make this a show for those fans of rosters and transactions and salary cap and those kind of things. That's why we dive as deep as we do on each one of these off-season previews. If you are a fan of the show, please head over to iTunes and give us a five star rating and review. It really does help out the show. It helps get us out there so more people can can know about it. And make sure you're telling your friends about it too. But that's all the time we have for today. We will be back with you soon with another episode of the NBA Front Office Show. Thanks again and have a great day. Now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning. You know? Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, let's pull up over here and drop a line. Get your feet wet. My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.